This is Dina Weiss for Hadar and Parashat Bo, The Greater Wrong. Part of the drama and the frustration of the Ten Plagues is that, at least in theory, so many should not have been necessary. Just drinking blood instead of water, or being overtaken by a swarm of frogs, locusts, wild animals, or lice alone, should have been enough. Yet Pyro does not relent. Occasionally he appears to let the people go, only to later retract his word and refuse to send them. Even once he releases the people and they have left his land, Pyro decides to chase after the just freed slaves because God again strengthened his heart. But what does this mean? What makes Pyro so stubborn and unwilling to free the Israelites? And how can we keep ourselves from becoming like him? Pyro's refusal to send the people is tied up with a surprising and noteworthy choice made by God in this week's Parsha. After the penultimate plague of darkness, and before the final blow of the death of the firstborn, God instructs Moshe to tell the people to borrow valuables from the Egyptians. Speak now in the ears of the people, and they should request, each man from his neighbor and each woman from her neighbor, silver and gold utensils. And God made the people favorable in the eyes of the Egyptians, and even Moshe was considered great in the land of Egypt, in the eyes of Paro, and in the eyes of the people. B'nai Israel are not planning to return to Egypt, and therefore have no way of returning the valuables that they take. Nevertheless, God tells them to borrow gold and silver from their neighbors, rather than just taking it outright. This is perplexing and problematic for a number of reasons. The decision to have them borrow the property of the Egyptians seems unfair to the Israelite slaves. It robs them of the dignity of demanding compensation and forces them to beg for a loan instead. And, of course, this is also a lie. They are not planning to return this property. Why is God telling the Israelites to borrow something that they will not return and turn them into thieves? Why not allow them to ask for and get what they want outright. A close examination of the verses yields that this trick is consistent with the way that God communicates with Pyro throughout. God consistently has Moshe and Aaron request temporary freedom when what God actually intends is a permanent emancipation. When God first appoints Moshe and Aaron, it is clear that his intention is to free his people entirely in accordance with the promise he made to their ancestors Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. It is also clear that God is going to instruct Moshe and Aaron to request a temporary three-day holiday from Paro and nothing more. Elav 
Adonai Elohe ha'ivrim, nikra elenu. Vi'ata nelcha na derech shaloshet yamim bamidbar, v'nizbecha l'adonai Eloheinu. V'ani adati ki lo yitain etchem melech metzrayim l'haloch, v'lo b'yad chazaka. V'shalachti et yadi v'hikaiti et mitzrayim, v'chol nifloatai asher ase b'kirbo, v'acharechein yishalach etchem. V'natati etchein ha'am haze b'enei mitzrayim. V'haya ki teilechun lo telchu reikam. Vishala isha mishchenta, umigarat beta, klechesa vuchlezahav, usmalot. Vesamtem albenechem, vialbenotechem, vinitzaltem et mitraim. Go and gather the elders of Israel and say to them Hashem, the God of your ancestors, appeared to me, the God of Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, saying, I have remembered you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I say that I will lift you out of the oppression of Egypt to the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Prezite, the Chivite, the Yavuzite, to a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders will come to the king of Egypt, and you will say to him, Hashem, the God of the Hebrews, has appeared to us. And now let us go a distance of three days in the wilderness, and we will sacrifice to Hashem, our God. And I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go, and even with a strong hand. And I will send out my hand, and I will strike Egypt with all of the wonders that I will do in its midst. And afterwards, he will send you out. And I will cause this people to find grace in the eyes of Egypt, and it will be that when you go, you will not go empty-handed. Each woman will borrow from her neighbor, and from the one who lives in her home, silver and gold vessels and clothing. And you will place them on your sons and your daughters, and you will plunder Egypt." In God's commandment to Moshe, we see that God intends to deceive Paro from the beginning. He explains to Moshe that his plan is full deliverance of the people of Israel, but explicitly commands Moshe, Aaron, and the elders to ask Paro only that they be permitted a brief and temporary holiday of a three days journey. God is similarly explicit when he says that the Israelite women should ask to borrow items that they will not return and thereby empty the Egyptian households. It is an integral part of God's plan to ask less from Paro than what he intends to take, and similarly to have his people ask only to borrow riches, which is less than what they plan to take. God's plan incorporates a deliberate manipulation of the Egyptian leaders as well as the populace. Rabbi Nisim of Gerona addresses why this trickery was necessary in order for God to bring the appropriate retribution on to the Egyptians. I am going to read only in the English, but you can find the Hebrew in the PDF version of the Dvar Torah. What is the reason for tricking Paro at all? That they should say to him, the God of the Hebrews has appeared to us, and now let us go a distance of three days in the wilderness, and we will sacrifice to Hashem our God. Why can't Moshe and Aaron, who were God's emissaries, not say explicitly that the time had come for Israel to be redeemed and that they will not be working them as slaves anymore? Is God's ability limited as far as convincing Paro to acquiesce to this thing if they had said it to him explicitly? This is truly unclear and needs to be explained. For even if we were to offer the forced explanation and say that God did so in order to show Pyro's stubbornness, 
that Paro would refuse to listen to God regarding even an easy request, the question would still remain regarding God saying, please speak in the ears of the people and they should borrow. For indeed, this seems very strange or shocking because even though the people of Egypt owed them wages for having enslaved them, the Israelites needn't have come to them through underhanded means and the ways of deceivers. Rather, they should have said, give us this amount of wages for your having forced us to work as slaves. However, the single resolution to all of these problems is that God wanted to bring revenge in that the Egyptians would enter into the water by choice and then die there. But if Moshe had notified Paro initially that the time had come for the Israelites to be saved, Paro would certainly agree to this out of the strength of the command, and he would no longer run after them. For why should he chase after them if he dismissed and sent them away from him when he was still in control? Therefore, God did not want Moshe to tell Paro what was meant explicitly, and instead to say that they were going for a three days journey to sacrifice, and then when they would tell Paro that the people had run away, Paro would think what he did think. And for this reason he commanded that each man should borrow from his neighbor. For though it was the case that the Egyptians' money was permitted to them, and they could just take it, God commanded that they should obtain it underhandedly, even though this was foreign to the Israelites. And when it was told to the king of Egypt and his people that Israel had fled, there was no doubt that they would suspect them as being men of deceit and trickery. For that were not the case, why would the Israelites conspire against them in this way? And all of this undoubtedly brought them to chase after the Israelites. And if Moshe had initially told Pharaoh that he should send them out, then he would not have chased after them. And also, if he had told the Egyptians to give the Israelites their wages, there is no doubt that the Egyptians would not have moved from their place. Rabbeinu Nisim acknowledges that asking to go on a brief vacation and to borrow some jewelry and clothing for the occasion were outright lies commanded by the God who promised to redeem his people completely and with great wealth. It is a ruse designed to bring the Egyptians to the Red Sea, where they will be brought to the justice that they deserve. However, Moshe and the people did not lie in order to get something that was not theirs. They deserved freedom, and they deserved to be compensated fairly for their labor. They lied only in order to make the Egyptians think that they didn't deserve it. If the people had phrased their request for silver and gold as the back pay that they were owed, the Egyptians would have seen the justice of that request and have given the money freely to their former slaves. But God wanted to manipulate the Egyptians into feeling that the Israelites were unlawfully escaping and taking with them property that was not theirs to take. The Egyptians were able to think that they were actually in the right in chasing down this newly created and long beleaguered people. These lies didn't only create occasions to display Paro's stubbornness as he kept on refusing to free the people or agreeing to let them go and then changing his mind. They created Paro's stubbornness because he thinks or in fact knows that he is being tricked. He is unwilling to let go and let God's people go. The inaccurate request that Moshe makes allows Paro to think that he has been wronged and that he is completely within his rights 
to hold on to an unjustly enslaved people because they lied to him about the exact amount of freedom they deserved. In this moment, Pyro and the Egyptians actually think that they are the aggrieved parties. In the course of conflict, people tend not to display their best behavior. And the ability to accurately say that both sides behaved badly can occasionally allow the person originally and more accurately at fault to excuse their own sins. Because you hit me back, I can nurse my own wounds and think of myself as a victim. I can allow your imperfect behavior to obscure the true wrongfulness of my own. I can refuse to apologize if you were not entirely blameless or refuse to forgive you if the apology wasn't just right. But we need to be better than Paro and the Egyptians. We need to step out of our own hurt and look at the situation from a more abstract point of view. The person who you are in conflict with does not need to be perfect or perfectly in the right for you to acknowledge that you have harmed them and to take full responsibility for what you have done. This is the problem that Rabbi Tarfon articulated when he exclaimed that people do not know how to respond to criticism. Amar Rabbi Tarfon, Timahani ani imish bedor hazeb shemekabel tochecha. Im amar lo tol kiseim shabain shinacha, amar lo tol korami bain enacha. Rabbi Tarfon said, I'd be shocked to find anyone in this generation who can accept rebuke. If he says to him, take out the toothpick from between your teeth, the other will say, take out the beam from between your eyes. The beam of lumber between the eyes of the rebuker is the reflection in his own eyes of the toothpick. The beam of lumber between the eyes of the rebuker the person who is being reproved sees is actually the reflection in his own eyes of the toothpick, the little splinter of wood that the rebuker saw and is seeking to address. The one with the toothpick sees his own imperfection reflected in and magnified in the person who was noticing his flaw. In order for me to need to make amends with you, I need to acknowledge what I have done wrong and ignore what you have done wrong instead of embracing the human tendency to do just the opposite. Your imperfection does not render me perfect, and a second wrong does not make the first wrong right. It's easy for us to slip into self-righteousness, and we need to hold ourselves up to a higher standard. We need to constantly ask ourselves if we are truly acting justly or are just justifying our own actions. We need to look at what we have done wrong, not at what others have done to us. We need to learn to be unlike the Egyptians who were so incensed at having been misled that they failed to see the magnitude of their own inexcusable behavior. Wishing you a Shabbat of Tzedek and Mishpat, not self-justification and self-righteousness. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening to our weekly Debray Torah. To see more from our archive, please visit hadar.org slash Torah.